Hi, welcome to the Jewish Kaleidoscope. It's my pleasure to welcome Yoni Pizer to our podcast. Yoni is running for office, and we're going to talk a little bit about that. We're going to talk about Jewish leadership issues and why anybody in their right mind would get involved with politics today. Yoni, welcome. Thank you very much. And uh, Rabbi, thank you for having me, and uh, thank you for your leadership. Thank you. Full disclosure, Yoni is also a member of the Anshiamat Synagogue and, uh, and also a good friend. So, Yoni, tell us a little bit about yourself. Where did you grow up and how did you get here to this point where you're now being endorsed by not only council people but also by the mayor of the city? Your candidacy for the Illinois legislature is really being very, very well received. Oh, thank you. Um, I'm honored to have the support uh, that I've uh, received and hopefully look forward to receiving the endorsement of the voters as well. (laughs) So I'm originally from Madison, Wisconsin. My great-grandparents on my dad's side were from the border region between Russia and Lithuania, and they were forced out by pogroms, by anti-Semitic attacks that forced them to leave their homes. My great-grandmother left with her only valuable possession, and that was the family's pair of silver Shabbat candles. That was the one thing that she brought to America. She met my great-grandfather, who coincidentally grew up a few miles from where she grew up in the same region and left for the same reasons. They met in Milwaukee and had nine children. My grandmother was the oldest of those nine kids and obviously helped raise all of her eight siblings. She met my grandfather, who was a, an appliance store worker. They're both union members, mm-hmm. and my grandmother worked uh, in Gimbel's retail shop, which is now Macy's, after it was Marshall Fields. They both saved enough money of their union jobs to put my father through college. My father was the first person in his family to ever go to university. He met my mother. Um, when he was in medical school. My mother was orphaned at 18, was from originally from Detroit, and they loved Madison so much that they never left. They raised all four of us kids in Madison. Um, I applied to one college, UW-Madison. I, I knew there were other schools because I saw the uh, UW-Badgers play other schools in football, <laughs> but I didn't, it never occurred to me to apply to any other schools. There were no um, other schools for you. There were no other schools for me. It's hard to find other schools <laughs> that you have badgers as mascots, I imagine. Yes, I can think of only one to this day. So all four of us kids grew up you know, in, in Madison. I moved to Chicago in 1986 after I graduated from UW-Madison uh, studying economics and integrated liberal studies. And soon after, I met who's now my husband, Brad Lippitz. He caught me... Uh, fresh off the boat, as it were. And he was a second-year law student at University of Chicago, and we hit it off. And so here we are, 34 and a half years later. We have raised our two boys here. They went to school in this building at Bernard Zell Anshamet Day School. We are members of this synagogue, and I'm proud to say that uh, my children are fourth-generation members of Anshamet. It's a powerful story. Of course, we appreciate the plug for Anshamet and Bernard <laughs> Zell, so thank you for that. But it's a, it's a Jewish story. It's an amazing American story. It's an immigration story. It's a, and it's the story of the promise of America in so many different ways. Mm -hmm. Imagine, you know, think about your family and a woman taking candlesticks, thing that she valued most as they left to go to the 
golden Medina, the golden country, and which really was that. And one thinks about where we are today with immigration issues and how we are in so many ways depriving our country of people who want to be builders in this in this society. It's a powerful one. You know, as as we want to talk about Jewish leadership today, because you you took a an interesting turn in your life. You had a career. You were involved in a whole variety of things, including um, appliances and heating and all the rest. And we're very successful at that. But you chose to leave and devote yourself to the community. You found yourself working with Congressman Quigley. Mm-hmm. How did that happen? What what went into that? Well, you're making an honest living. What 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 is this? <laughs> is this a career for a nice Jewish boy? What happened here? So, growing up in Madison, Wisconsin, I grew up in a very political family. Politics was something that we talked about at the dinner table. Current events were a topic every night. I remember as a child volunteering for people who are running for county board seats for governor. I was always passionate about it. This woman who lived down the street from me, she was our high school valedictorian. Uh, She was a friend of mine, and she went to UW Law School, and we grew up together. And when she first ran for Dane County Board Supervisor, I supported her. Her name is now U.S. Senator Tammy Baldwin. And she uh, has been an inspiration to me. She happens to be a lesbian and a woman, obviously, and uh, broke so many barriers and glass ceilings. She's a mentor to me, and she's always been an inspiration. I've supported her from the very beginning, and I'm proud to see her a second-term U.S. senator. Powerful. Yeah. You know, I, I moved to Chicago in 1986 and soon found myself in the cornfields of Iowa uh, stumping for, do you remember uh, Senator Paul Simon? Sure. When he was Bow ties. Run, it, bow ties, what yes. A, what, a, what, a, what a figure he was. <laughs> yes. what a, what a, he was amazing. And he inspired me. I thought he was great. Um, you know, the electorate didn't agree as much, but, you know, from there to President Obama to Mayor Lightfoot, I have always been inspired by, you, and by you these and Brad people. Have, you and Brad have really worked hard to support candidates. I mean, you're not, you don't just look from the sidelines. You're obviously a voter, but you also get out the vote. You get people to meet and candidates. You support them, which is really powerful. So you made a decision to kind of get involved public good. Yeah. So, so talk about your responsibilities in uh, Congressman Quigley's office and what you learned while you were working with him while, yes. during that time. So five years ago, uh, Congressman Quigley approached me and asked me to be his community liaison for the 5th Congressional District. And I was flattered and honored, and uh, of course I said yes. I've always admired Congressman Quigley. He's a mentor to me. As his community liaison, I've been able to work closely with him and closely with the community. And it's been an opportunity to really listen and to hear the disparate voices of our diverse and dynamic community. And one thing that's been so incredible for me is to see up close how the congressman listens. He listens to all the different voices. And he's such an honest, ethical, good man mm-hmm. that he, he makes his decisions based on his own experience, but also knowing the people that he represents in the district and wants to do best for the community. And it's been that sort of lesson that I've learned from him, how to listen and how to lead in challenging times. I would say that we're living through very challenging times. No question. (laughs) But we're also living in very cynical times Mm -hmm. where people feel like the system's rigged. Mm -hmm. There's a lack of trust. I think this is probably the worst 
moment to go into politics, just from a public trust standpoint. Have you ever considered that? Or would you agree It's either the that? worst moment or it's the best moment. Okay. Okay. I'm tired of scaring my dog Astro uh, when I scream at the TV and throw things. It's so frustrating, so many things that are going on right now. Yet look at Congressman Quigley. He is defending the country, literally. He's on the Intelligence Committee. He is defending our country, defending our Constitution. He sees wrong. He took his oath seriously. He's defending the Constitution, and he's an inspiration, right? I take that as the model. You know, I've been in this district, district for 27 years. You know, I've lived, loved, breathed the dynamic and diverse community, and I feel that I have the shared values of the community, and representation matters. And I, at this moment in time, I think we can make a difference. Well, that's inspiring, and that is very meaningful, I think, to all of the listeners because there are just too many people who feel like we're sort of stuck. So I want to I talk a little bit about Jewish views on leadership because I am a rabbi and mm -hmm. it's part of my union contract. I have to <laughs> put Torah in. Everything's Torah. <laughs> but we're, we're reading about Moses right now and you could look at the Torah as a primer on Jewish views of leadership. And the rabbis do exactly that. Moses, as you remember through all kinds of happenstance or the hand of God, however you want to read that, finds himself in the court of Pharaoh. He's a made man. He, things are good for him. He's part of the royal family. But yet when he's walking outside of the palace, he sees these Hebrew slaves being abused and the Egyptian taskmaster beating uh, an Israelite mercilessly. And Moses jumps into the middle and ultimately kills the taskmaster and has to flee. And the rabbis look at that story and they say that there are two key aspects of leadership that you can learn from that. Number one is that he loved his own people so much that he was willing to take a risk and that his passion for justice was so deep within him that he was compelled to act. So love of people and a passion for justice a willingness to involve yourself and take risks, all these are building blocks of Jewish leadership. How does that speak to you? Well, first of all, let me just say, uh, far be it for me to compare myself to Moses. But right. um, I knew Moses. But <laughs> right. <you> know, right. <laughs> Moses was a good friend of mine. <laughs> Look. You got the beard. I don't know. You're almost there. Uh, not as much gray yet. My Jewish upbringing, uh, my Jewish education has taught me a few things about community, and about leadership. Jewish values, I think of three things. Tikkun olam, healing the world, making the world a better place. Right. We need a lot of healing these days. There's a lot of hate out there. There's a lot of anger. The world itself is, the planet itself is hurting. We need to heal the world, right? No question. Um, we're also taught to welcome the stranger. And I can think of no better time than now that this is a critical value that we need to live every day. There is, from some quarters, an effort to demonize the other, that we should be afraid of them, that we should chastise them. And anti-Semitism is sadly on the rise. Violence against Jews, especially those who are easily distinguished as Jews, yeah. is off the charts. And you are running for what has been under uh, Sarah Feigenholz's 
terms, uh, kind of a Jewish seat. And even before her, five years before that, the seat's actually been in Jewish hands, so to speak, uh, for 30 years. So two questions about that then. One is, does it concern you to be out front in a Jewish seat as a Jew in a time of rising anti-Semitism? And the second is, what do you think you can do as a, um, as a public official? What can you do in, in Springfield? How can you help? Let's face it, representation matters. With the rise of white nationalism, rise of anti-Semitism. On the left as well, right? And the progressive universe as well. Yes. So, so we're seeing it it's on both sides. It's coming from all sides. Right. right, right. I think it's important to continue the tradition of a strong, visible, clear Jewish voice representing this district. I'm a proud Jew, and I don't want to run away uh, from the opportunity that I saw when Sarah, after 25 years of amazing service in Springfield and of being a great voice for the Jewish community uh, in our state government, I didn't want to see that voice uh, silenced in the House. She's going to be great in the Senate, uh, but let's face it, there's a lot of work that we need to do. And there is work that can be done. Representative uh, Jonathan Carroll, who, by the way, has endorsed me, recently introduced a bill that was passed to increase punishment for hate crimes and uh, anti-Semitic attacks. I fully support that bill. There's more that can be done. I want to make sure that law enforcement has all the tools necessary not only to fight not only anti-Semitic attacks, but um, attacks against any minority community, and make sure that political leaders, both at the local, city, state, federal level, speak out. So you said there was a third aspect that you wanted to talk about. Yeah, that third aspect that I think of when I think of Jewish values and what my understanding of my Jewish education and and what it means for me to be a Jew is to treat others as one would like to be treated. It sounds so simple, but it's really actually quite profound. I've knocked on over 2,000 doors since I started my campaign. And I've also opened them? I mean, actually... um, Some actually do. I have to say it's uh, it's not the majority. But between that and going to the bus stops for two hours every morning and L stops, introducing myself to voters and asking them to just take a piece of literature. And people are actually willing to take their ear pods out and talk to you? Most, no, honestly. The polite ones wave me off. Others uh, choose other ways to make it understood that they are not interested in interacting with another human being at 6.45 in the morning under any circumstances. But you know what? I still have really amazing conversations. The other night, I knocked on the door of a woman, and she was clearly in the middle of about a thousand things, and uh, I was surprised that she bothered to open the door. There was a lot of kids in the background running around. Um, I think, you know, dinner was on the stove. She uh, opened the door and just looked at me and was like, basically like, what? And I introduced myself. Hello, hello I'm Yoni Pizer. I'm running for state rep. Um, I'm walking around to introduce myself and to hear the concerns of the community. And she took a big breath. She goes, I really don't have time to talk. However, I have a child who's trans, and I'm worried for her. I'm worried for her future. And I'm a relatively well-off white person on the north side of Chicago. And if I'm concerned about her future... I can only imagine what it's like in other communities on the west and south sides and in other parts of the state and even in the country. We have to do more to help people like my daughter. This was catching her in the middle of making dinner. She just came out with this. I mean, my eyes, 
I, I almost started crying. And I'm like, I hear you. I understand you. I agree with you. And this is one of the main reasons I want to go to Springfield, you know, and represent our community because, yes, yes, we are underserving many communities. It does feel like the pendulum is swinging back with abortion rights, issues regarding human sexuality. Uh, all of these are, are really under, are under the gun right now, quite literally yeah. in some cases. Yeah. All the battles that we thought were behind us, that we thought we had won, guess what? Not so much, right? And you believe that it's possible for government to continue to make changes in positive ways in these areas and fight the good fight. I do. That's why I'm running. How much of that is based on reaching across the aisle? Because it feels like we're so divided, so tribalized. Have you had much experience with reaching out with people that you may not agree with and that a whole kind of sausage making that's government? Not as much experience as I would like because it's getting, frankly, harder and harder to do. Um, I think there are a lot of issues where there is commonality, regardless of the capital letter that comes after your name, whether it's an R or a D or an I. You look at infrastructure, you look at you know gun safety, you know public safety, even the environment. Um, I would say there are a lot of areas where there are mutual concerns that we can work together as a community across the aisle and make significant progress towards solving these seemingly intractable problems. I think it's vital. I think it's vital. And if we don't, then God help us because it's going to be pretty horrible. I think part of that has to do with humility. You know, we talked about Moses earlier and Moses was known as the Anav Israel. He was the humble one of Israel. And it's odd because if anybody had what to be um, proud of, I mean, Moses is our greatest leader. We talk about him to this very day. In our society, humility is seen as a weakness and not a strength. But in Jewish thought and leadership, humility is really seen as a strength and not a weakness. Because if I'm humble, that means I don't have all the answers. And I just feel like that's part of what government should be. We find the, we find the answers together. What's best for everybody? Mm-hmm. I agree. Okay. Then what are your top three priorities in Springfield? Let me just say, as far as humility is concerned, I'm innately a humble man. A lot of times when I go up to people at the bus stops and the doors and I tell them I'm running, they look at me with bewildered eyes. And they're like, why on earth would anyone want to involve themselves in the mess that is, in this case, you know, government in Springfield, but they might as well say government anywhere being, you know, a public official. And, you know, I just say, you know what? I'm a fighter. I like rolling up my sleeves, getting something done. I'm humble in that I can admit right here, right now, I don't have all the answers. Some of these problems are serious problems that have gone on for decades because there are no easy solutions, right? And I want to do my part to be a part of the solution. I want to listen to all stakeholders. I want to be open to all disparate ideas. And I want to then, okay, this is how we're going to try to work to solve this problem. So my three... So uh, let me ask that question again. (laughs) So what are your three top priorities in Springfield? Day one kind of stuff. Okay. So my three priorities in Springfield can be summarized by three words. Trust, equality, and safety. Trust. We have an ethics crisis in the state of Illinois. Our public officials are not held in high esteem because of far too many scandals 
And this has got to change because all the hard work that we've talked about that needs to be done to solve our problems, how can we do that if our citizenry doesn't trust their elected officials? It makes it that much harder. We need to have serious ethics reform in Springfield. We need to empower the legislative inspector general with the powers to investigate whatever he or she wants without general assembly approval. We need he or she to be able to release the results of that investigation publicly without any prior approval. We need to stop the revolving doors of lawmakers becoming lobbyists by having a cooling off period. I would suggest two years. We need to prevent our elected officials from being able to lobby other branches of state government. It's not acceptable. And we also need to institute term limits for our legislative leaders. It's not okay for them to be in office for generations. That's trust. Equality. The LGBT community needs to have full equality. And although many people think that uh, was achieved when we had succeeded in getting gay marriage, unfortunately, that's not true. Even with gay marriage, there are efforts to roll it back or cut out little set-asides. But for, you know, whatever, if you want to adopt, uh, we don't recognize it in that way. No, we need to make sure that, that the LGBT community is fully equal. Our LGBTQ young people are more likely to be homeless. Uh, LGBTQ elders are often being pushed back in the closet when they go to retirement homes. And our trans siblings are literally being murdered in the streets. It's not acceptable. Beyond just the LGBT community, all minority communities need to be seen as equal under the law. And I look forward to being a part of the community that's going to make that happen. One other thing about equality, women's equality is critically important to me, and we need to ensure that uh, women continue to have equal access to health care and the full access to reproductive health care, and we need to repeal the uh, Parental Notification Act that's unfortunately currently on the books in Illinois. And what is that? Young people, young women under 18 need to get either their parents to sign off on their ability to terminate a pregnancy if that's what they want to do or get a judge to agree to it. And unfortunately, that puts our young women in precarious and vulnerable position when they're already in a very dangerous situation in many cases. The last one is uh, safety. Uh, we all need to feel safe, not just in our homes and on our streets, but in our places of worship, in our places of business, as we walk to and from school, work, parks. We need to make sure that our police have the tools and the resources that they need to prevent attacks and to stop them and to prosecute them. But beyond that, we need to make sure that we are welcoming. It can't be a prison state. We need to make sure that our neighborhoods feel welcoming. Yoni, thanks so much for being on the Jewish Kaleidoscope. We appreciate the time that you've given us and, most importantly, your efforts to play a leadership role here in the state of Illinois. It's been a pleasure speaking to you about those aspects of Jewish leadership that speak to you passion for justice, a love of people, and I would add one that's not included in the Torah, your inherent menschlichkeit. Thanks again, and good luck with the upcoming race. Thank you, Rabbi. <laughs>